This is Sound and Vision from KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Brandi Clark and Brandi Carlisle are both gay Americana and country artists from Washington State. The two have teamed up on Brandi Clark's new solo album with Carlisle on production credits. I recently caught up with Brandi Clark to talk about the record, her Tony Award-winning musical, songwriting, and gay representation in country music. I understand that this collaboration came about after you and Brandy Carlisle were nominated for a Grammy for the song you did together called Same Devil. Same Devil. And you didn't win the Grammy, but Brandy Carlisle approached you and said she wanted to make a record with you and that it would be your, quote, return to the Northwest. You are from Washington State. I understand you split your time between California and Nashville now. So what did she mean by this would be your return to the Northwest? I didn't really know, but it was so intriguing to me, you know, because I've lived in Nashville for 25 years, so longer than I lived in Washington. I moved there and, you know, kind of immersed myself in Southern culture. And um, a lot of what I've written feels very Southern, but it's also just be, it's just from being where I'm from, Morton, Washington, it's very rural. And so a lot of people always think I'm from the South and I'm like, well, no, I mean, the South isn't the only place with small town America, but I think just because no one's ever talked to me about that part of me that came from the Northwest, that was a different take for me. Writing a song like Northwest, I would have never written that had Brandy not said that, that it makes me so proud because I've had a lot of people from my hometown reach out to me and talk about how proud they are of that song, how they feel seen because of that song. And then also I've had people that aren't from the Northwest reach out and say, oh, it just makes me think of home, which also makes me proud. The compass in my heart still points Northwest. The trees grow mountaintops. The summer feels like fall. And run an eagle's fight. You're in heaven, but you didn't die. But I just think it was also a return when, when she said a return to the Northwest. It was a return to a more stripped back sound, which is always home to me. And I don't think I would have done that with anyone but her at this point. So it was a perfect, perfect marriage, so to speak. Yeah, because again, in this album, you have a song called The Northwest that kind of paints a picture of Morton, which for those that aren't familiar is about 30 miles southwest of like Mount Rainier, one of the entrances Mm -hmm. to Mount Rainier. Uh, So definitely, definitely a rural area. How would you describe the town that you grew up in? Well, you know, to me, it's kind of heaven. I hope everybody feels that way about their hometown. Um, in my mind, that's where that's what it is. Very small, probably about 900, 1,000 people. It's in a valley, very green. The Tilton River, which I mentioned in the song, runs through it. It's the only home I know. And so it's what I picture whenever I picture a small town. You know, there's one stoplight and it just blinks red. It doesn't even change. It blinks red, I think, on two sides and yellow on an, on the other two sides. I remember when... There, a Chevron gas station came in and then they got a subway and that was such a huge deal um, for Morton. Uh, you know, it's like one school. That's It's always odd to me. Not odd, but so different to me. Like living in Nashville, my friends, kids, you know, they have choices of where they go to school. And um, I always think, man, you know, it's kind of nice to not have a choice. Like you just, everybody went to Morton, Morton Elementary and then everybody went to Morton Junior Senior High. And But it's beautiful. And Being from there, I don't think I realized how beautiful 
it was because once again, it was all that I knew until I left and came back and thought, wow, you know, and, and my friend that I wrote uh, Northwest with is not from the Northwest. And that was one of the things that she said was, man, I mean, the part that kills me about here is how tall the trees are. And that was where the trees grow mountain tall. Cause she said, you know, in most, most places, the hills are as tall as some of these trees. And that is true, you know, in like Tennessee, which is also, I've been lucky to live in some beautiful places. Tennessee is gorgeous, and but it, they have hills and not mountains. They call them the Smoky Mountains, but they're really just hills. St. Helen's ashes evergreen, forever raining in my dreams. I don't need a picture to remember till the river. Rolling back behind our house of all the byways I've been. are a songwriter for other artists as well. You know, you've written songs for Reba McIntyre, Leanne Rimes, Casey Musgraves, <laughs> Keith Urban, Sheryl Crow, and, and many more. And I find it interesting when artists have great musical talents of their own, like you're, you're a great singer, yet also write for other people rather than just keeping those songs for themselves. How do you go about deciding when you're going to write a song for yourself versus writing it for someone else? Well, and you know, that changes. When I first moved to Nashville, I was definitely set on the path of I was going to be the artist and I was going to record the songs. And then when I got a little bit into it, the songwriting part of it really grabbed me. And a lot of what went along with being an artist, I just didn't think I could ever really be. You know, one of those things being that I was openly gay and I just didn't see a lot of space for that in commercial country music. And so I thought, well, you know, I'll write songs. And then I write about, it's just like the universe, you know, right about the time I had thought that'll never happen. Boom. I got the opportunity to make a record. And so that first record I made 12 stories was a lot of songs on that record that I was just frustrated that no one had recorded, you know, like, man, these songs are great. Why didn't anybody record them? But then as time went on and I got the opportunity to make more albums, it really became, if I'm writing with another artist, like you mentioned, Casey Musgraves, I've written quite a bit with her. You know, if I'm writing with Casey, we're writing for her. So I don't even think of it for myself. But if I'm not, then the, when I know it's for me is when when the thought of somebody else recording it makes me a little bit sick, then I know, you know, like, oh, that's for me. Now, as time goes on, I move into writing less for other people and writing more for me and writing intentionally for me. I mean, songs like Northwest and She Smoked in the House, no one else would record those songs. Like, and I wouldn't want them to. Like, I mean, they can now, now that I've put them out, but those songs are 100% autobiographical. And I just think as, as time goes on, that's probably what I'll do more and more and more of because what I'm also finding is that's what people respond to. And it's good to be reminded of that. People respond to the truth. She smoked in the house, would throw nothing out. She'd cut the mold off cantaloupe and cheese. The farmer's on the neck told her when to plant petunias, potatoes, and peas. 
I also noticed that you had mentioned that you had a co-writer or had help with other writers on this record of yours. Do most of your solo songs, you also collaborate with other writers? Most of them, yes. I mean, on this this album, the only song I wrote completely by myself was She Smoked in the House, which is a great reminder to me that I can write songs by myself. You know, when you're in places like Nashville and L.A., New York, I haven't done a lot of co-writing in New York, but I've worked on a musical. And so I've been in the creative community. But when you're in those places, it's hard to not co-write all the time because you're, you have these opportunities with all these incredibly talented people. And a lot of co-writes, especially on albums that are that are mine, started out as songs I wrote, tried to write by myself and would get into a corner or I would know like, man, this needs something else. This needs what this other writer brings. And so I'm going to save it and bring it in. But I think, you know, writing Smoked in the House and having people respond to it the way that they have, that song is is a great lesson to me in sometimes spend some time by yourself and write about something that is so personal. I mean, for me, my grandma was my favorite person to ever walk the planet. And I feel like I just had to write that song to talk about her. Yesterday, I was at a an event and somebody said it's not over as long as somebody's speaking your name and telling stories about you it's not over Mm. and and that I think was my way of keeping my grandma's memory alive and reigniting it for people who didn't know her she smoked in the house she'd laugh and crush one out light another put coffee in her cream and it's 1984 and I'm asking for one more story when I see her in my dreams. When you and Brandy Carlisle were deciding which tracks to include on this album, she said she chose songs that didn't sound like they were written in a writing room. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, how would you describe what writing in a writing room with other songwriters is like? Well, I mean, I think when it's good, it's like amazing. You know, and so I'll just talk about the amazing experiences because every one of these co-writes on this record was amazing. It's either like somebody's finishing your sentences or they're, do you remember Choose Your Own Adventure books? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I would say it's like a really good Choose Your Own Adventure book. Like you'll say something and you know how you would maybe go with it, but somebody else goes a different way that then inspires you to take it a different turn. And so that there's that. I think what starts to happen, though, and what Brandy's talking about is there becomes a sameness with songs that are, you know, I have been in, until the last couple of years. Well, until I made my first record, really, I was a, what they call a staff songwriter, which is you're writing songs five days a week, usually. But you're writing every day. And so they're, they're in that there's a lot of practice and you get really good and you tend to get faster because of that. But it maybe isn't always as unique. And that was one of the greatest gifts that I got from working with Brandy was when she said to me, because what she said to me was, I, I, anytime I make a record, I always give the producer about 18 or 24 songs that has been narrowed down from my catalog, which is hundreds of songs. And when I hand over those songs, I'm proud to do any of them but I'm too close to choose the 10 or 12. And so Brandy chose her 10. And I said, wow, you know, cause she chose songs like smoked in the house. And I said, 
man, you're, I love your choices. And they surprised me. Like, why did you choose what you chose? And she said, well, they were all great songs, but I tried to choose songs that I felt like you wrote in your bedroom and not a writing room. And man, that was like a bell went off in my head for the future. And I looked at how all those songs were written because a lot of those co-written songs were written on writing retreats, which is, you know, where you go somewhere else and you're, you know, you're all staying in a house together and you're just kind of out of your routine and it doesn't feel as much like work. It's usually more work, honestly, because sometimes you'll write several songs a day. But I rem- it made me remember, like, the reason why any of us started doing music wasn't like to be clever or even to write hit songs. At least I, it wasn't for me. It was to move people and to move myself and to put those complicated emotions into simple songs. And so it was a really good reminder of why and and how the kind of art I want to make moving forward, which is stuff that makes people feel. And so to make someone else feel, I have to feel it first, you know. So I'll just dig in a little harder on that than I than I was. Yeah. There's a point you made earlier that is really interesting to me is that you when you moved to Nashville, you were a songwriter first because you felt like you couldn't be openly gay and have a career of your own, a performance career of your own. And I just look at what you're doing today. I mean, you're collaborating with Brandy Carlisle, who's openly mm-hmm. gay. And then yeah. you just wrote a musical that's being performed on Broadway right now and been nominated for all these Tony Awards with Shane McAnally, who's also a solo artist and produced albums for Kelly Clarkston, Casey Musgraves, and more. I'm curious, like, how would you describe the landscape for gay country artists today? Because, you know, Shane's also in, in that country realm as well. You know, I think for the mainstream, it's still pretty bleak for, you know, mainstream commercial country radio. I don't know a lot of artists in the commercial mainstream of the country world who are out of the closet. But I think that there's all kinds of ways to have a career. And I'm a really great example of that. And I, even though there was a time where I really wanted to be in the mainstream and where I felt less than because I wasn't, that time is in the past because (laughs) my career and my life is so much better for being on the journey it's on. And tell me more about the the Broadway musical that you wrote music for. So it's called Shucked. We're nominated for nine Tonys, which is pretty amazing. We want to, Shane and I want to draw a desk for outstanding music in a musical, which I found out yesterday is the equivalent of a Golden Globe in the, in the theater world. The drama desks are the Golden Globes and the Tonys are the Oscars. Uh, it's about a, a girl in a small, isolated town. The town lives on corn, is surrounded by corn, but the corn starts to die. And so someone has to leave the town. No one's ever left. No one's ever come into the town. And our leading lady, whose name is Maisie, leaves the town to get help. And then what proceed, what happens after that is a comedy of errors. I don't want to give away too much, but she goes looking for a corn doctor. So you can imagine what she might bring back. In most of the musical, it's in the country realm. Is that pretty rare for musicals on Broadway? Yes, it is. In fact, a lot of people, and I would say, even though people are calling it a country music musical, I would say it leans more Americana country, which probably makes it an even tougher sell on Broadway. Well, Brandy Clark, I, I want to go back to your self-titled album that you just released. The album starts with your song, Ain't Enough Rocks. That was the first song that I heard. And it's one of those songs that just like takes you in. 
the lyrics really paint a very descriptive picture. And and the story is of an abusive father. And you get to the end of the song, and I literally, like, out loud said, whoa. <laughs> you know, because... <laughs> The, the father is like drowned in a lake yeah. and, you know, like yeah. there's this really powerful line at the end and out loud I was like, whoa. Sometimes the only cure for a certain kind of problem is the right amount of limestone to keep it at the bottom. Tell me more about that song and what that song meant to you. Well, that song actually was written on a, on a writing retreat and we were watching um, the movie Forrest Gump one night. And there's a scene, there's a line in there where Jenny, Forrest's girlfriend, is throwing rocks at the house where she grew up. And Forrest says on the monologue, you know, sometimes there are just ain't enough rocks or there aren't enough rocks. And Jesse Joe Dillon, who's one of the co-writers on that song, said, uh, I've always wanted to write that song, Ain't Enough Rocks. And so her and I and Jimmy um, Robbins, who was the other co-writer, we all knew sexual abuse survivors. And uh, we talked a lot about that. And so we wrote The Killing of the Dad was fiction, but a lot of the other parts of it weren't. And I even felt a little weird singing that song because I didn't want to be offensive to anyone who has survived that kind of abuse because fortunately for me, I've not. But, you know, Brandy was was adamant. She's like, oh, this is like one of the best songs and it's a story song. And it's clear when you sing it, I believe it. Like, I believe that you want him at the bottom of that river. And I said, well, I do. Like, (laughs) I'm pretty stiff on punishment. So, yes. And that's interesting. You mentioned that Forrest Gump uh, scene because, you know, I've watched Forrest Gump maybe four times in my life. And each time I watch it, you know, like 15 years has passed. So Mm -hmm. I remember watching it when I was like super young and then watching it in my 20s and being like, oh, I didn't obviously pick this up when I was like eight you yeah. know, that Jenny was abused and that's why she's throwing rocks, uh-huh. you know, at her father's house. And you realize like, oh, that's what the scene is about later in life. And so like realizing that there was that connection to Forrest Gump and then this song. It's it's a beautiful song. Um, congratulations. <laughs> that was my conversation with Brandy Clark about her new self-titled album. She grew up hiding bruises, thinking it was love. Bourbon on his bread, poison in his blood A wolf in daddy's clothing, he'd sneak into her room While that small town was sleeping, God, she wished she was too She got a little older, but so did little sister One night the ugly truth came out in a whisper And that whisper was a trigger, only had to pull it once They wrapped him in that bedroom rug and threw him in the trunk that was Sound and Vision. Thanks to one of our listeners up in Canada who recently wrote a review on Apple Podcast and called Sound and Vision a well-produced music podcast. Now, they usually listen to podcasts on double speed, but they always slow down for this one. Thank you for that review. Reviews, ratings, and subscribing to this podcast goes a long way in helping spread the word about this show for free. We don't spend money to market this show. We spend money to make it. So listener support really goes a long way. We're also a publicly funded station, which means listener contributions make up the majority of our budget. And you can help support this show with a $20 donation at kexp.org sound. Thanks for listening.